I grew up in a Christian household where it was like a lot of expectations placed on me where I had to be Christian. I was really like struggling with my relationship to, with God and once COVID hit, it got a lot worse. Since there wasn't as much expectations during the COVID time, I didn't really like, pray or read the Bible. Like, mainly, I just felt really confused. I had no clue what I was doing. I felt like I was just copying what everyone else was doing. My friend actually texts me and invites me to this get-together at Rock City. So I say, sure, I'll check it out. Ask my parents. They're fine with it, so they're taking me. I really saw that community that they had, which really surprised me. Like, they were really God-loving people. And from there, I really wanted to check out like the services and the youth night. So first, I went to youth night. I really liked the sermon and the worship, but really didn't really click yet. This keeps on going like for a while. And then one youth night, I wasn't feeling it. So instead of like going to the front, I end up just sitting in the back. Then I hear the lyrics of the song, Jesus, my everything, all that I am is yours. And then I just start crying. Like, Jesus wants me out of like, all that I've done, he still wants me. Tears rolling down my face. And then I started praying and that's where I really gave my life to Jesus. I felt whole. Instead of just half, I felt whole. After that youth night, I went like straight to my room. I started reading the Bible. I felt like I was really hearing God like the, for the first time. I know now that God is not a fearful God, he's a loving God. I felt like I was getting all these awesome things. Like I was in a community, I got in a small group, all these awesome people, but I felt like I wasn't really given back. So then I started serving. I started by signing up for pre-K team. So I get to see all these little kids who want to learn a little bit more about God. Then afterwards, I go sit in in the 11 a.m. service. I set up the chairs and started setting up for small groups. What's great about our small group is kids who are my age, who love God, who want to talk about God, who really want to be open. We have like two leaders. How God's moving through them, I want to be more like them. It's great to have leaders who are there for me that I can run to for guidance. I love serving because it's what God has been doing, what he's showing to us, how he's how he washed the disciples' feet. Sundays might seem like a really long time, but I absolutely love it, honestly. Um, I really feel like I'm giving back to the people who have helped me. It's just crazy to think that I was once that one who didn't have that connection with God. And he found me in Youth Night of all places. And I'm able to bring those talents to others and really help that one who's was in my shoes not having that connection. I'm just really grateful to be at this church. And I finally feel like I have a home now. And I'm really grateful that I found Rock City and Rock City Youth. Well, come on, church. How incredible is that? Daniel, thank you for sharing your story. You inspired me, and I know you've inspired many, many others. Thank you uh, for the way that you are serving and giving back. And I, I hope that uh, Daniel's story would be a reminder if you're a teenager to be a part of Rock City Youth. If you have a teenager in your home or you know a teenager, get them to Rock City Youth Night, get them in a Rock City Youth small group. And uh, this January, why don't you send them to winter camp? Come on, we're gonna, we're gonna take your kids out the house for a few days and give you some breathing room. Winter camp is gonna be incredible. I, I love what God is doing through our student ministry. I have two uh, daughters in our student ministry and to see firsthand as a dad, first and foremost, uh, the impact of Rock City Youth in my own house. It is absolutely 
incredible. So can we just make some noise for our youth leaders and youth pastors and volunteers who are doing an incredible job? I want to welcome you, those who are with us live and in person, those who are tuned in on television, online, and the many who are joining us from prisons and correctional facilities from all across the nation. We welcome you. It is an honor to bring this worship experience to those of you that that are unable to join us uh, in person. Last weekend, we kicked off a brand new series uh, that really begins this legacy season for us. And the, the series is called Living a Legacy That Lasts. And we started with God's promise, and and this is the theme verse for this series, Psalm chapter 112, verse 5 and 6. It says, good will come, that's the promise, to him who is generous and lends freely, who conducts his affairs with justice, or who lives uh, their life with intentionality and focus. Surely he will never be shaken. A righteous man will be remembered forever. The whole idea of this uh, living a legacy that last series is that, that we would live our lives in such a way that the lives we live would outlive us. Amen. That we've been given one life to live on earth and, and I want us to live our lives in a way that makes heaven full, that makes a difference. The goal isn't to live on earth forever. Nobody can, nobody will. But the goal is to leave something on earth and in heaven that does. And if there's ever a time of year where we get to live out this mission that matters, the the mission of making heaven full, it it is right now, it is in this season as we are now just a few weeks away from being in full swing, Rock City Christmas mode. Are you ready for Christmas at Rock City? Just a few weeks away. We start singing Christmas songs and the the whole series and and, uh, messages and the tone, it just starts to shift a bit toward Christmas. And then, of course, on December 22nd, 23rd, and 24th, we have our incredible Christmas Eve candlelight experience over three nights, multiple opportunities to not only experience Jesus this Christmas, but I would ask you this, would you consider not just... um, being a part of our Christmas season, engaged in, in this Christmas season, and, and being uh, you know, present at these services, but would you consider bringing somebody with you this Christmas? It's important for, for two reasons. Number one, it's an easy time to bring somebody with you to church. It's Christmas time, and, and a lot of people are thinking about Christ at Christmas. Even if we can't put word to that, there's, there's more likely... Uh, the opportunity that a person will say yes to an invitation at Christmas than any other time of year. And so it's easy. It's an easy time, but it's also a needed time. I don't know if you're aware of this, but during the few short weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas, more people will take their own lives or attempt to take their own life between the few short weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas than if you take all 11 months and the rest of the year combined more people will be in such great despair at Christmas time. And it's not that the, the problems of life are greater. It's just that they often tend to be magnified during the holiday season. And you never know what a person might be carrying who's right beside you today or that sits near you at work or in, in a classroom. You never know uh, what difference you might make by simply inviting somebody to join you at church. I can't think of a, a greater gift to give somebody who needs hope this Christmas 
than the opportunity to experience the hope of Jesus, the the peace and the presence, amen, and the power of Jesus. So please uh, be mindful as to who you might bring with you. And then, of course, on December 11th, which is Legacy Sunday, on December 11th, we'll be receiving our year-end legacy offering. And that's where we bring our biggest and best offering of the year to fuel the what's more vision of the year to come, our 2023 vision. And I just want to say I can't, can't be more proud of this church for, for, for your generosity. I can't be more excited to lead this church. We are making a real and lasting eternal and kingdom difference. Amen? We, we are. We are making heaven full. And it is, it, this is such a fun church to lead. And we don't wait until December to get to work. We're actually all ready to work. I don't know if you've seen the, the, the ABC6 Toys for Tots commercial. We're going we're gonna to throw that up. I'm just going to kind of uh, do a little voiceover, if you will. So um, here's Santa. And uh, he's talking to somebody from ABC6 who's saying, hey, Santa, there's a lot of kids in our city that need Christmas presents. And Santa goes, well, why don't you go to Rock City, Rock City, Rock City, Rock City? Because that's a church that's doing something. And uh, hey, how about you send people this invitation? Pastor Chad. <laughs> is inside the Christmas card saying, hey, city, why don't you join us at Rock City for Christmas this, this year? We're, we're really grateful for our partnership with ABC6 again this year. Not only are we four of the six drop-off locations for Toys for Tots, but they said, hey, why don't we give you the last 10 seconds of every ad that's going to be playing for like six weeks straight thousands of times, I'm sure. Uh, Why don't you take the last 10 seconds and just invite people to church? And uh, so we said, well, let us think about it. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? So it's a rare, rare opportunity. We're grateful. And then, of course, um, if you missed last week, we uh, just released our year 11 annual report. If you weren't here and you want to take home a copy, we have these available at every location. You can see it also online, lots of stories and statistics that will uh, inspire you. Two that most inspire me are, number one, in year 11, we we got to see 3,898 people say yes to Jesus. Come on. That's a lot of people. That's a little small town in heaven already right there from year 11. Uh, we, We got to baptize 401 people last year. Come on, just in year 11, 401 people. And that does not count this past week. This past week, get this. Come on, drum roll. Come on, drum roll. Just this past week, we got to baptize 100. It's 190, guys. No, it's 190. I know this is 80. 190. 90. 190. Come on, you can do better than that. 190 people more. 190 people more baptized Can can we just thank the Lord together in prayer right now? Jesus, we thank you for this incredible word. We can't even keep the PowerPoint straight because it's just, there's always people being added. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in the church. We thank you that we get to be a part for the small part that we get to play. We thank you for this one life on earth that we get to live. And it is our desire to live this life in such a way the life we live would outlive us and make a difference long after we're gone. We ask you to give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word today. May we be challenged and stirred up by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, everybody said.
You glad you came to church today? Anybody glad you came to church today? Last week, I shared with you sort of two main points as we kicked off this series, Living a Legacy That Lasts. The first is, uh, how do you do that? And, and one way we do that is by um, living the, the kind of life where uh, the impact of our life on earth continues to have impact on earth long after we're dead and gone. I shared the, the story, just a little bit of my grandparents and how they're not here with us now, but, but, but y'all are being impacted by them still because what my grandparents invested in me, I'm investing in you. And there's three generations on earth and in this church that are walking and living the legacy that they lived and left behind. When, when the uh, investment of our lives show up in heaven, this is how we live a legacy that, that lasts. And I, I told you last week that I'd come back to this point in particular because it tends to get a bit more tricky as we consider living a life where the investment of our lives shows up in heaven. Y- y'all know this ain't heaven, right? Come on. Like we're not living in heaven right now. And it- it's not like there's a, there- there's a number to heaven where you can call it and say, hey, can I get an update on my heavenly portfolio? <laughs> hey, before I invite this person to church, I really want to make sure it's going to be worth it. So what kind of a difference is this person going to make if I bring them to church and they get saved? And how many people are they going to see saved throughout their life? And how generous are they going to be? I, I want to kind of know my odds before I engage in the mission. We can't, we can't do that. And it's one of the reasons why I think that so many Christians um, tend to neglect or ignore a ton of Jesus teaching when it comes to this. Matter of fact, if you were to uh, listen to what Jesus taught throughout his life from the beginning of his ministry to the end and, and you read the scripture through and through, you'll, you'll start to recognize this theme and, and that the greatest motivation, the ultimate motivation for the way we live our lives here and now, it's, it's not to see how many campuses we can build for the sake of building campuses or how many bellies we can feed for the sake of feeding bellies, or missionaries we can send just so we can say we've sent a ton of missionaries. The ultimate motivation according to the scripture, according to Jesus for our generosity and our sacrifice and our service on earth is actually heaven. How we're called to live our lives is with heaven in mind. The reason we do what we do is to make heaven full with heaven in mind. And and I would say that heaven is in mind, the hope of heaven, the wonder of heaven, the question of heaven, the awe and and inspiration of heaven. And the reason it's in mind is the scripture tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that God has set eternity in the human heart. In other words, we wake up every day with eternity in our heart, with eternity in mind, the wonder of heaven, the hope of heaven, the thought of heaven. And yet I wonder if we really understand how incredible and amazing and perfect and inspiring heaven really is. When my grandfather was sick, we knew that he was going to heaven. He lived an incredible life, but, but it wasn't just about the life that he lived. He had a personal relationship with Jesus, and we knew that, that he was moments away from seeing Jesus and stepping into the perfection of heaven. But if I'm honest, it, it did little to temper the pain that we were feeling as we were saying goodbye to somebody that we loved so dearly. 
As I've thought of so many of the prayers that we've prayed over people that we know who know Jesus and they're, they're sick and they're getting ready to step into heaven themselves. And we say, Lord, would you, would you heal them here and now? Could you bring them back from the dead? Could, you, could we have them just a little longer? And I, I think about how what my grandfather must have, would have been feeling had the Lord answered our prayer and maybe sent him back to us and how angry he would have been with us and frustrated like, hey, y'all know where I just was, right? Like, did you really just ask the Lord to bring me back here? Because finally, I'm finally not sick anymore. I'm finally free from the burdens of life on earth. I, I got to see Jesus, and why would, you, why would you bring me back? Even for those of us who believe in the reality of heaven, there, there's still this, this issue of hurt that we feel when we say goodbye to those that we Love And I, I wonder if sometimes it's because we've done, even pastors have done a, a poor job of really talking about heaven. Like I've been in the church a long time and, and, and for a long time I, I thought, you know, heaven is this place where people go and we just sort of float around on, on clouds and we wear like thin white robes with awkward wings on our back. Like what, what shoes can you pair with that and can you wear a jacket? And I don't need a halo. Those are kind of feminine. I don't want to wear a halo, especially a sparkly one. Like, what are you doing to me, Jesus? Like, this doesn't sound like heaven. It sounds like hell, right? You're going to force me to sing in a choir, really? And I, I, what, what am I, a tenor now? I don't want to be a tenor. Make them sing songs down there in hell. Don't make us be in a choir. I'll sing how I want to sing. We, we have this weird thought of, of heaven. And, and I, I do have to wonder if there's a disconnect. As I consider so much of what the Bible speaks of, when it speaks of heaven and in particular, one passage we're going to look at is, is in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I, I wonder if the reason the Apostle Paul begins his, his conversation with Timothy around this topic the way he does, because there is this disconnect with, with people, and, and perhaps one of the issues is that the more we have on earth, the less heaven begins to be viewed by us as a bargain. Can we be honest for a moment? That there is no mourning or sickness or pain or crying. We have everything we need in heaven. And can I just say this? That if you have little, how many of you know that sounds like a bargain? Amen. If you're sick and you've been suffering for a long time, how many of you know heaven sounds like an incredible bargain? Amen. Jesus. When he would talk about heaven, he would, he would talk about heaven with, with people who had never experienced Charmin ultra ply, super soft toilet paper. <laughs> to quote Patrick a few weeks ago, they, they, they weren't blessed with the power of a flush. They didn't know what that was all about. The AC unit right above the stage that I stand on right now went out this morning. And I was like, dear Jesus, we're living in a third world country. <laughs> I might break a sweat when I'm preaching because these lights are hot. We, we don't understand that we, we live with the pamper of central air and we, we live with the extravagance of, of running water. And I wonder if there's a disconnect, particularly in the American church, because Jesus was talking to people when he first was teaching these messages to people who were living a much different life than we're living today. They had a lot less than we have today. And I wonder if the disparity between their comfort and, our, and ours becomes almost too much for us to comprehend. You see, Paul says to Timothy, Pastor Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world. 
not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Command those who are rich. Why, why doesn't he just say, why don't you tell everybody? Doesn't matter what you have. Maybe uh, he understands something about people in that those who are poor, who have very little, they're not going to need to be really sold on this idea. Heaven seems like a bargain to them, but I'm telling you, the more that we have here and now, the more we start to think that, that, that here and now is all that. And can I just tell you, here and now is not all that. But the more comfort we have, the more luxury we, we have. Command those who are rich. They're the ones who are going to need to have a mind change, a heart change. Don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in wealth. But put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Some things that I see in this passage, I, I want you to notice, first of all, what he does not say. And what he does not say is command those who are rich to give all their riches away so they're no longer rich. Aren't you glad he didn't say that? I mean, we're talking to an American church that's been overwhelmingly and abundantly blessed. God's not saying I'm against wealthy people, I'm against riches. And so the, the person who, who thinks that to follow Jesus means you have to take a vow of poverty, you're wrong. But, but then there's this other side too where, where, where people believe and pastors will preach that, that to follow Jesus means that, that you're automatically on the way to being a bona fide millionaire. And can I just be honest, that's not true. God's not against riches. He's, he's against riches having you. He, he's not against you having wealth. He's against wealth having you. He's not telling wealthy people, give up all your wealth and give away everything you have so that you, you are just as poor as anybody else. What he does say is, I want you to do good if you're rich in this present world. I want you to do good. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Now, statistics will back this up, particularly in the American church, that the more a person has, the more that person tends to hold on to what he has, rely on what she has, trust in what he has. And, and I would say this, that the way that statistics back this up in America is the poor outgive the rich when it comes to percentage of income. That, that, that where there is a, a greater increase in wealth, there is a decrease, a correlation is there's a greater decrease in generosity. The, the, the more wealth you have in America, the less by percentage of your income you actually give to anything, the church, charity, anybody else. It's, it's, it's the more we have, the more we tend to hold on to what we have. So perhaps that's why the Apostle Paul says, command those who are rich. I think it's also interesting that, that he doesn't, what he doesn't say is um, that God has given you, you know, some of what you have for your enjoyment. He, he says God gives us everything for our enjoyment. And I think another disconnect that we uh, often are, are living with is th this idea, this fault, faulty idea that, that in order to enjoy what we have, we have to hold on to and keep what we have. And so many people within the church are living having never experienced the joy of being generous, the joy of giving back, the joy of making heaven full, the joy of sacrificial living. And then there's one other thing that I think just really stands out to me in this passage, and you're going to see it in a moment. I'll, I'll read to you a few verses first and then go back to this passage in 1 Timothy. But, but there is, according to Jesus and according to the Scripture, um, not only uh, the benefit of others, the, those who receive our generosity, but there's also a personal benefit tied into being generous. 
Galatians chapter 6 says, for whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Proverbs 11 says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Jesus in Luke 6, he kind of takes it to a whole nother level. He says, given it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Jesus starts to bring this thought of like, like it's not just a personal benefit. You're blessing others, but you're going to be blessed. And there's this multiplication of blessing that Jesus begins to introduce. Malachi chapter 3, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house so that we can feed people. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Again, we're, we're, we're seeing this, this pattern in the scripture, not just of a personal benefit, but, but there's this multiplication of, of benefit. But, but I want you to see as we jump back now to 1 Timothy chapter 6, that the benefit is not just a here now benefit. Paul goes on in 1 Timothy by saying this, as you're generous and you, you live the way I'm, I'm telling you to live in this way, you're going to lay up not for somebody else, but you're going to lay up for yourselves personal benefit, as a firm foundation for the coming age, treasure in heaven. So as we're generous on earth, we're going we're gonna to end this way, lay up treasure for ourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So what I do in this age with what I've been given by God is going to have an impact in the coming age that you may take hold of life that is truly, truly life. I want to unpack just a few things from this this passage. The first is this. We need to understand that our forever home is in heaven. It's not earth. Like when Jesus talks about life that is truly life, he's not talking about just the here and now. There is a life much greater than this life that we're living here and now. Hebrews chapter 13 says this. This world is not our home. Come on. We are looking forward to an everlasting home in heaven, but this world is not our home. In John chapter 14, Jesus is once again redirecting his disciples' despair here and now onto heaven. He, he's, he's, he's addressing their earthly issues by reminding them of what's to come. He says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. I know you're worried about here and now. I know your heart is troubled today, but, but, but in my father's house are many rooms. And if it weren't so, I would have told you. And what you need to know is I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, know that I'm coming back for you. I'm going to take you to be with me so, so you and I can, can dwell in, in this heavenly home together. Come on, it's incredible news. Jesus is continually reminding us that the life this side of heaven is complicated and it's painful and there's a lot of trouble here and there there are many issues that we have to endure this side of heaven. And Jesus is just saying, if you could hold on, I know life is hard, but it's going to get better. If you can just stand firm, I know it's hard right now, but I've prepared a place for you and I just want to get you there. And it's going to be amazing when you get to to see what heaven looks like. This skin and bones is a rental. (laughs) And nobody makes it out alive. That's a quote from Switchfoot, by the way. I just, I love that. I love that line. This skin and bones is a rental. 
They got that from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an everlasting eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. This world is not our home. Not only that, but, but my citizenship is in heaven, not earth. Amen. Come on, can I get a praise God for that? Because yeah. the, the politics on earth, come on somebody. My citizenship is in heaven. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven. What we get here and now, it's our best shot. And our best shot at kingdom building on earth is not that great a shot. You can let this house fall. We're still going to be okay. I, I love this country. I love politics. I have some opinions. I'm not going to share them all. But I'm not putting my hope in a political system built by human hands. My citizenship is not here. It's there. And I'm not going to be here long enough to, to, to allow my heart to be so overwhelmed and filled with despair based on what's going on here. Number three, the line is longer than the dot. Here's why this matters. If you've read the book, The Treasure Principle, we've, we've given away thousands and thousands of copies of this book. Chances are you, you maybe have received one from us. And in it, the, 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 the author, Randy Alcorn, he, he makes the case that this beautiful, long and incredible and often painful life of 70, 80 or 90 years or so that we get to live on earth is nothing but the dot. That the dot is life here and now. The line is when we step into eternity. That's why we don't live for the dot. We live for the line. The dot is minuscule and insignificant compared to the line. The dot is short-lived and momentary. It's James 4.14. Your life, the dot is like the morning fog here for a little while and then gone. But eternity is the line. And yet as followers of Jesus, and even for those of us who would say, yeah, I believe that, how much time and energy and focus and talent and treasure do we spend investing in the dot and not the line? And I know that the more we, we have here and the more luxury we have here and the more comfort we have here and now, the, the harder it is to view heaven as a bargain. But I would just say this, that, that if Jesus tells us heaven is all that, and he's the one that made the heavens and he made the earth, then I'm going to go ahead and say, I believe Jesus. I believe Jesus. I believe Jesus. One thing you might not know about heaven is, according to Revelation 21, we're not going to live in heaven anyway, forever. So even if we are floating around in the clouds and we look like dumb angels, you know, it's like floaty little, because angels will blow you away. They don't look like that. I'm telling you, they'll, they'll, they'll freak you out. If you really saw an angel, I think they'd freak us out. Strong and bold and courageous and man i'm telling you you need some you need some warring angels around you not some little chubby angel you you read the bible there's some strength in heaven but even if we even if we do just float around for a minute 
Revelation 21 says the old heaven and the old earth is going to pass away and, and God's going to create a new heaven and a, and a new earth. And when we get to live in this new earth, man, I'm telling you, it is exactly as God has always intended it in the perfect perfection of his promise. It's going to be incredible. There's going to be no sin, no injustice, no disease, no grief, no greed, no anger, no racism, no violence, no murder, no masks in heaven. I know somebody's probably thinking, are you sure? Can I bring my mask to heaven? It doesn't sound safe. No, you can leave it here. You will not need it there. Praise God. We can't even imagine what it would be like to live in the perfection of, of heaven because we're, we're living on earth and, and we know a lot about imperfection. But when I get there, I want to be ready for heaven and I, I want to be investing in heaven. I want to invest in the line and not the dot. And I realize that every, every day we spend on earth and every, every day we live on earth, it means that there is less time and there is less opportunity to invest in what really matters. Time is limited, Amen. An opportunity short. It's why we're told in Ephesians chapter 5 to be very careful in how we live, not as unwise, but as wise, that we would make the most of every opportunity. It's why Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, and the market can, can just take it all away in two seconds. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, if you just read the Bible, you realize to invest in heaven, it's just smart. It's just smart. It's wise to live for the line and, and not just for the dot, to invest in the line and not just to invest in the dot because when I invest in only the dot, it's like I'm pouring everything I have into a rental that I'm not even gonna get to sell one day. I'm just gonna leave behind. And I want there to be something in heaven that shows up. Jesus in Luke chapter 12, I'm gonna close with this story. He tells a really profound story and it might take a bit to process, so just, just listen to, to the story. This is Jesus in Luke 12. He says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He was doing all right. And so he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. So here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store up my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, which is the opposite of smart, wise. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Now, I've read that before, and I thought, man, that's a little kind of feels like a, an aggressive move by God, you know, like, and I hope you have a savings account. I hope you're taking advantage of your, if you have a job and your employee gives you a 401k match, I hope you take advantage of that. We should we should plan, we should be wise with what God's given us. It's not that it's bad to invest here and now, it's just we need to think about heaven too. And I thought, why would God just like kill the man because he's building bigger barns? I, I don't think that's what that means. I, the, the Bible says that we don't even know if we're gonna have tomorrow, right? I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. 
This might be the last message I ever preach. So I'm going to preach it the best I know to preach it. I might not have another message to preach. I don't know what tomorrow holds. In other words, my life might be demanded of me tonight, and, and I'm going to step into heaven perhaps in a few hours. And if that's the case, then, then I'm going to stand before God and give an account as the, the life that, that, that he gave me to live. And, and up to this point, what am I going to say? What did I do with your son Jesus? What did I do with the gifts and the talent and the treasure you, you gave me? And I, I think it's, it's so interesting. He says, this night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This then is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. What does it mean to be rich toward God? It means that he has my heart. Because if he has your heart, he has everything. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first and the greatest commandment. When he has your heart and you love God, you'll love the people God loves. You'll love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second commandment. When he has your heart, you'll have a heart for the people he cares about. You'll, you'll live a generous life. When he has your heart, it means you're acknowledging that God who has your heart is worthy of your heart. That the God who has your heart is Lord of, of your heart and your mind and your soul. And, and that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And the world and all who live in it. That the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. It all belongs to him and this life belongs to him and everything in this life belongs to him. And when he has your heart and, and you've acknowledged that God is Lord of, of all, it, it means that, 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 that you start to live a little different. We, we start to, to live and act like a steward of life and not the owner of life. I, I realize that, that God, because you have my heart, you're worthy of my heart, you're Lord of all, you're Lord of my life, you're Lord of everything in my life and everything I've been given, it's a gift from you and so I'm gonna use it for you. This mind that I've been given to think it's a gift from you. These hands that I've been given to work with are a gift from you. Every creative thought, it's a gift from you. The ability to dream and, and build a business and, and plan and be entrepreneurial and, and to grow things and organize things and steward things, that's a gift from you. Every breath is a gift from you. This, 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 this heart that's beating inside my chest, it's a gift from you. Haven't you learned that even your own body doesn't belong to you, that you belong to God? And if it all belongs to you, Lord, then I'm going to use what belongs to you for you. I'm going to use what you've given me for your kingdom, for your purpose. In just a few weeks, we're going to have the opportunity on December 11th to put really this whole series to practice. That's when we receive our year-end legacy offering. There's a reason we're not receiving our legacy offering during our legacy series. This is a short series. We're talking about vision and mission and focus and values and generosity and gratitude in this series. On December 11th, you're going to hear a, an inspiring and, a, and an evangelistic Christmas message. We're going to be singing Christmas songs and we'll be in full swing Christmas mode. You're not going to hear a message on giving or generosity on that day. The end of the service, as we give our normal tithe and offering, we'll bring with us as well our year-end legacy offering. And the reason we, we do it that way is because, one, we want to give everybody time to pray and plan. And we don't want anybody to feel overly pressured 
to give above and beyond. I don't want you to give out of compulsion. Matter of fact, it's, it's this that the word says each of us should give according to what we have decided in our heart to give, not, not based on what somebody expects us to give. That we shouldn't give reluctantly or under compulsion because the Lord loves a cheerful giver. So we want to give our church time to pray and plan and to get excited about being generous at year's end. And as we give toward our year-end legacy vision, there's four lanes to the vision. Lane number one is this, reaching the unreached. Through our year-end legacy offering, what we're going to be able to accomplish, we hope, is this, that we'll be able to translate the gospel of Luke into three brand new languages for people who have no access to any portion of the gospel in their own language. And we're going to give them the first portion of the gospel in a way that they can read it and, and understand it. We're going to plant pastors in those communities who will start the very first Christian church there. We'll be able to increase our support of frontline pastors in the 1040 window. Today we have 100 pastors who are fully funded and supported by this church. And they're planting churches where no other Christian church exists. And I'd like to see that number of pastors fully funded and supported by Rock City increase significantly. Through our local outreach lane, we're going to secure a new headquarters and warehouse space for the Columbus Dream Center so that we can mobilize larger teams throughout the city and deliver more services and goods. You're going to help us increase the number of prisons we have teams in physically every week. And a quick shout out to uh, the Ohio Reformatory for Women, where my wife Katie just spoke at on Wednesday night. Come on, can we make some noise for the ladies of the Ohio Reformatory for Women? She had an incredible time being with you. I, I, I have been told that she shared one too many stories about me. So, but we love being with you every week. It is an honor to be with you every week, and I, I'm so glad that you're tuned in again today and joining us from where you are. And, and church, 46 women said yes to following Jesus on Wednesday night at that prison. 46. And now let, let, let me just add one more thing. I, I know we talk about, when we talk about the prisons, we're, we're doing ministry, and I know we can tend to be focused on the ministry we're doing in prisons. But every time I, I step into a prison where we have a team at, I am overwhelmed by the number of men and women who say from behind bars, we are praying for you. We are praying for your family. We are praying for your church. And I'm telling you, church, we can't do what we do without the prayers of the saints. And that means the saints in this room, and that means the saints who are behind bars right now. And so from the bottom of my heart, thank you for praying for us. Thank you for being engaged any way that you can be engaged. Through our disaster response and church planting lane, and I, I missed this, you're gonna help us plant a dream center on the east side. We really wanna plant an, a dream center on the east side. Through our disaster response and church planting lane, you're gonna, you're gonna help this church stay ready to respond to disaster wherever and whenever disaster strikes, to send resources and teams when we can. Teams when we can, resources always going to help us plant more life-giving churches in cities all across America. This last year, we were a part of planting 64 churches. We provided more than $220,000 of support to those churches. Let's keep planting. And through our Rock City expansion lane, through this year's year-end legacy offering, 
You're going to help us finish Polaris, which we just broke ground on a few weeks ago. We're, we're about six to seven million dollars away from being able to confidently say we can finish Polaris. So we're not done yet. We have some room to go. But I'm trusting that as the Lord speaks to your heart, you will, over these next few weeks, be prayerful and mindful and ask the Lord, what would you have me give toward this year-end legacy offering? This is just one way. There, there are many ways that we're investing in heaven and laying up treasure in heaven. This is, this is one way. The local church is, is I think, the greatest way. The, the local church mobilized is the hope of the world. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. Amen? We are Jesus in the flesh, embodied on earth. It is incredible to to serve Jesus and to carry the mission and message of Jesus, knowing that what we invest in eternity, we will never miss. Amen? We will never miss what we invest in eternity. We might wonder at times, are we really making a difference? We might wonder at times, how far will this offering go? We might wonder at times, will this invitation really matter? But when we get to heaven, we'll see clearly and in full the difference made through the decisions that we're making today. Can I pray for you? Would you bow your heads? Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for this incredible ministry that we get to be a part of. Thank you for being so gracious and generous toward us. We are blessed, overwhelmingly and abundantly blessed. We want to use our life for you. We want to be a light for you. Would you use us this year-end season, this Christmas season, to bring light and hope and help to those in need? And through this year-end legacy offering, would you, would you use us to fuel and further the new vision, the bigger vision for the new year that you've laid on our heart to pursue? I pray, God, for those who are here right now, or watching from afar who would say, I'm not sure that I'm going to heaven. I want to be a part of investing in heaven, but I want to know if I'm going to be there. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And the wage of our sin is spiritual death and separation from God. And because of sin, we feel that separation every day. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible says when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Romans 10, 13 says everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father in heaven but through me. So if you want to know that heaven is your home, that you've been saved and forgiven of your sin, and I'm going to ask you right now to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Just pray. Lord, here I am. I trust you. As Lord and Savior of my life, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me from the inside out. I trust that you are Lord of all. The heaven and the earth. You're Lord of my life. You who died for me were raised from death to life for me. Raise me now from spiritual death to spiritual life as I can now look forward to the hope and the promise of heaven that you've prepared for me. In Jesus' name.
everybody said. Amen. 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 Come on, can we give him praise right now? Can we...